Oh my God, it's being threatened. Jesus is being threatened. His identity is... Jesus can take care of himself. I still am trying to figure out how we got there, where we have two different distinct types of Christianity in America. The one you just described that encounters these men in the barbershop and shows them love and patience. And the other one that wants to rip chairs out and throw scissors. Right. How did we end up with these two dramatically different interpretations of this? Because I resonate with what you're saying about the consistent command to generously, patiently love people. I think, at least in, in American history, we went through a period where we thought that defending the faith meant that those who were against Christianity were the enemy. But they are not. They're victims of the enemy. Even as you look at Jesus, you don't see Jesus attacking the woman who was brought caught in the act of adultery. Jesus had his strongest words of challenging for Pharisees, for religious leaders who knew better, but he showed incredible compassion and patience with the common person who was far from God, whether it was his disciples or anybody else. But we lost that delineation somewhere in us contextualizing the gospel through the history of the church in America, and it's still around. I'm gonna steal what you said. I'm gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm, I'll, I guess I'll give you credit. Did you make And you know up? what? Jesus will forgive you, bro, for stealing. <laughs> The world around us is full of false choices. That temptation to be us versus them, for or against, in or out. But what does it really look like for followers of Jesus to engage in the messiness of life, the gray issues of faith, to truly allow our lives to conform to the gospel? Join us as we try to figure it out. We are the Brian and Janelle podcast. Hey there, Brian and Janelle podcast listeners. Brian here with a quick item for you before we get to the main content in today's episode. I'm super excited to tell you about a brand new podcast series I created in partnership with Moody Radio that's available starting right now. It's called The Grandfather Effect. And here's the quick backstory. I only have really one strong memory of my paternal grandfather, Tom. And it was when my dad and I were standing shoulder to shoulder in a crowded room right in front of his open casket. And I remember standing there a bit mystified because, you see, Grandpa Tom had lived only about 15 miles away from my house growing up. And yet I never saw him. He never talked to me, called me, never came to birthday parties. He was no part of our life. He had disowned my family when I was about three years old, and my family was left with lots of questions. Because from our perspective, the reason he disowned us didn't seem to make much sense. The circumstances were so seemingly trivial, it just didn't add up. So what happened? Well, about five years ago, I decided to try to find out. And that journey became much more complicated than I could have possibly imagined. And I chronicled the entire thing with a recorder in my hand and take you along in the journey. The podcast series is called The Grandfather Effect. Would you consider giving it a listen? I'd be super grateful for your support. And if you like what you hear, maybe you'd be willing to leave a a nice review or even tell a friend about it. All right, let's get back to today's episode. Thanks a lot.
In studio with us, Pastor Kevin James, founding and senior pastor of New Community Bible Fellowship in Cleveland Heights. We'll get you connected to them in just a few minutes. But their church has been spending about a year focusing on knowing Jesus better. And I got to tell you, I love this. Amen. Because I discovered in my own life years ago that I had kind of created a Jesus mm. that didn't necessarily fit with who he really is. How often do you encounter that? I think that's all of our story, and I think that's why we have to stay in fresh relationship with him. We're all at risk of creating our own Jesus. Think about Mm -hmm. the moment when Jesus told the disciples, and especially Peter, that I've got to go to Jerusalem. I've got to suffer. I've got to die. And what did Peter say? No, no, that's not the Jesus I know. So much so that Jesus rebuked him and said, get behind me, Satan. So I think we all have to stay in connection with the living Lord through prayer and fellowship and the word so we understand who Jesus is from like Isaiah 9, 6 and from the gospels and from prophetic words about Jesus so that we don't get him confused with some of our own ways we want to do it and have him and some of the ways the world is constantly trying to shape a different Jesus to us. I've seen less of Christ-centered preaching, less of just teaching about the person of Christ, the supremacy of Christ, the uniqueness of Christ. There's more now in the pulpit of directing uh, people toward your benefit. Mm. Uh, And so that's one way I've seen from a cultural standpoint and a social standpoint, even a religious standpoint, I've seen Jesus get nationalized a little bit in America. Yeah. You know, I don't want to get too political, get too controversial, yeah, yeah. but, in, you know, on January the 6th, with all that writing that was going on, I saw someone who had a John 316 sign, and I'm thinking, whoa, what's happening here, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And There's then, worship music. Yeah. yeah. And then on the other side, as a predominantly African-American church, we're dealing with, you know, black Hebrew Israelites and their perspectives. A lot of their influencing our members are some of our members have family members and yeah. friends. So we're dealing with that level of theology as to who Jesus is and and then Mormonism, and you've just got all these different aspects yeah. of who Jesus is. Because I've seen in the past as well, and you see, you still feel the remnants of it today, talk of Jesus being feminized mm. to the point where it was difficult mm. when we were growing up for men to relate to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Did you experience that also in your church, or do you see the effects of that? Absolutely. I, I think because we know that the essence of what Jesus did for us was to serve us yeah. and to love us, that we kind of try to build his whole personality from a human standpoint and experience around that. Yeah. And we miss the fact that Jesus was truly a strong man. He ran the money changers out of the temple, mm-hmm. uh, the strength of character and the strength of person that he needed to not, like he said, foxes have hole and birds of the air yes. have nests. The son of man has no. So he spent a lot of his time just, you know, living not in some nice house. Mm-hmm. And we know that Jesus was a real Man, so absolutely. We've had to deal with that at our church. We try to stay ahead of that through preaching, through our men's ministry, through trying to make space for men in church, you know, so that the the church is not feminized. And with men, you have to do two things. You have to, first of all, live with integrity before them uh, as a man so that they respect you, and as the leaders, they respect you. But then secondly, you have to respect them. And thirdly, you have to, beyond teaching them and discipling them and training them, you have to give them ownership in the ministry. You have to give them skin in the game because men, it's just so long they're going to sit there and say, hey, I love your teaching, that's good, but how do I 
play a role in this because men want to be involved. They want to be a part of the mission. What I've seen often is that people out of their own weaknesses or passions just kind of rubber stamp Jesus onto whatever that is. Mm-hmm. I don't know how often somebody will call in and declare Jesus is for something. Mm-hmm. And I'll mm-hmm. say, oh, where does the scripture guide you to that mm-hmm. conclusion? And they'll mm-hmm. say, oh, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like we, we make him who we want him to be or who we need him to be. Yeah. Why does that continually happen? Well, part of it is looking at the life of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus, but other part of it is we, we live pretty self-centered. Yeah. And especially when we feel like we're right about something, morally right, we feel strongly about it, and we may see a scripture that kind of alludes to that or see an experience that Jesus has, and we make a broad sweeping statement about it from that one scripture or that one experience that Jesus has there. But remember the movement WWJD? Oh, yeah. What would Jesus yeah. do? It yeah. just caused, I think, debate yeah. more than anything else. We heard it during the coronavirus, like mm-hmm. crazy. Yeah. yeah. And there's some legitimacy to that. Sure. Mm-hmm. But to some degree, we only know what Jesus would do today by walking with Jesus today because yeah. he's still alive. Yes. Mm-hmm. And he's not always predictable. So, you know, we, we see what he, what he did in one situation and we can't just paint that into the future. We have to walk with the living God. We have to follow Jesus today, and he'll speak to us and tell us what to do. So sometimes he's going to tell me to correct my child, kind of strongly address that, discipline them. But other times he's going to show me to grace them. But I have to walk with Jesus to know what Jesus would do in a very personal way. What does that look like in terms of walking intimately with Jesus. So this year, every year we have a focus or a theme as a church where we just try to rally around it. And this year it is literally those two words, knowing Jesus, just returning to our first love. Yeah. And I feel like the, the the pandemic and everything else has been going on has kind of disoriented us, gotten many of us to drift kind of a, away from Jesus a little mm-hmm. bit. And we just want to have that passion, that burning passion, like the two men on the road to Emmaus who had really encountered Jesus again. And one of the main things we're telling folks to do is to really spend time in your devotion just walking with Jesus in the Gospels and taking time to read about him and then ask him, what are you saying to me about your life? What are you saying to me about how I should follow you as a result of this? And so that's a big part of it. You know, he says, come to me. And there's a real part of knowing Jesus that has to do with spending time because there's a real relationship with the Lord. When we come back, we're going to try to figure out how do we truly know Jesus for who he is, not who we want him to be. Hey, it's Brian from the Brian Janelle Podcast. You know, a famous poet named William Joel, better known by the name Billy, once said in a song that if you love a woman, you should tell her about it. Common sense, right? Well, what we're going to do right now in this podcast episode as we pause is ask you to tell someone about it, it being us. If you love this podcast and you've listened to us on a regular basis, we need your help to spread the word. So pick out a friend or two, maybe your mom, your cousin, your uncle, whoever it is, tell them about the Brian and Janelle podcast. That's one of the best ways for people to find out about great content online. Would you do it? We'd be so grateful. Thanks a lot. Back to the show. Pastor, I love what your church is doing and spending a year just trying to know Jesus better. I also love your advice about 
the best way to get to know him is spend time in the Gospels. But as we do that, I think somebody who maybe for the first time really takes their time through the Gospels, not checking a box, but saying, I want to know you better, Jesus, you'll encounter things that make you uncomfortable. Yeah. What do you do when Jesus, something he says or something he did makes you uncomfortable? Well, this is why I think, and this is what the scripture says, so it's, yeah. it doesn't even matter what I think, <laughs> that two are better than one. And I think we should take this journey with other people along the way. Remember the Ethiopian eunuch who was reading in Isaiah and yeah. Philip comes alongside him. He says, hey, you know, I can't, I can't figure this out. Well, Philip begins to explain to him. And in those moments where we encounter scriptures that are difficult, and especially when God, we know God's saying something difficult for us, it, the journey is so much easier if we're walking with other brothers and sisters in Christ, if we're in small group, if we're in fellowship, or like Janelle, you were talking about that incredible course that you're going through right now yeah. with contemplative learning. So yeah. I think that's critical. So then what do you do if you encounter somebody, Pastor, who's like, yeah, I just spent a month in the book of John. I got to tell you, Jesus is exactly who I thought he was. <laughs> well, they may be telling the truth. Yeah. I mean, and that's a wonderful thing. Um, the, the, here's the amazing thing about our Lord and Savior. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. If you just take Isaiah 9, 6 in and of itself, you could spend a lifetime just understanding. Unto us a child is born, a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulders. His name should be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You just take those aspects of who he is. Yeah. Volumes of books. So, Jesus, we can walk with him. We will not have enough years in our lives. Mm -hmm. And so we will have moments where we get fresh revelation of him, and we should, because out of that revelation comes greater commitment, calling, transformation. But that'll never stop. I just hope the person is not saying, I've arrived. I know everything I need to know. There's no more to know. How do we release our, our preconceived notions or our... That, that we don't even know our preconceived notions about Jesus so we can truly encounter him. I think this is where we get into uh, really studying the word, if I can use these terms, doctrine, yeah. systematic theology. The scriptures have to make sense. They have to complement one another, not contradict one another. And um, another part of us uh, knowing Jesus this year is to do that, that, that more doctrinal, apologetic, deep dive into the Word of God with our congregation. So I, I believe there's a, there's a more formal or, or disciplined study of the Word of God about the person of Jesus Christ, the supremacy mm -hmm. of Christ, Christology, you know, in Christ studies through the epistles, these type of things we're, we're, we're approaching as well in our small groups, in our Sunday pulpit ministry, and in other ways throughout the year. Yeah. You did uh, mention earlier in an African-American context, there's a lot of encounters with black Hebrew Israelites. I've heard this from multiple pastors in Northeast Ohio. Uh, for those who don't know, what is that? Well, black Hebrew Israelites is a, uh, a group that uh, there are many aspects of it, but one of the main aspects is that uh, they believe that actually African-Americans uh, are actually the actual Jewish descendants of the people of Israel, and it's representing the Old Testament. Where does that come from? It comes out of passages in Exodus. There are a couple of key passages there. Okay. And um, it's a big world, and I'm still learning this world. I just started hearing about it just in the last few years. Do you know its origin? It's been around probably a couple of decades Beyond that, I can't tell mm -hmm. you much more than that. There is an amazing book that I'm working through right now called Urban Apologetics. And before that, you know, it was uh, Nation of Islam, 
which uh, was almost the same type of uh, looking for identity, black identity in your religious experience. And yeah. now this is kind right. of taking that same thing, finding black identity in the yeah. Christian experience. Yeah, and if one were to take an empathetic view of black Hebrew Israelites or Nation of Islam, to me, it's obviously heretical faith, but it's born out of pain, like it's some, some, some pain. sort of understandable pain in a sense, right? Absolutely. And and I believe Paul teaches us this, that the goal of engaging people who have differing views is not to win an argument, but to understand where they are and to uh, help them see the true Christ and to love them where they are. Because we as a people have been very, of course, oppressed historically. There's been a whitewashing of Jesus, so to speak, and this is a a really big deal. Um, The pictures of Jesus, the Europeanizing of Jesus, so to speak. And that's just added to the pain. And then there's the whole standpoint of that a lot of Christianity was presented to African-Americans coming from Africa through slavery. I understand the whole, the whitewashing of Jesus and the impact it has. But as black people, African-Americans, how can we really connect with Jesus and still present him as truth? Like he wasn't African-American, he was Jewish. Mm -hmm. So how do you get past that? I think it begins with relationships. I remember a conversation I was having years ago in my barbershop uh, with a bunch of guys, and I love the barbershop. Yeah. <laughs> and these guys were going on and on. And most of these guys weren't Christians, but just about how Jesus is black. And they went to the Revelation passage, you know, where his feet yeah. were like bronze and all of that. Yeah. And, but the first thing is to be with them in that moment and to kind of identify the deeper issue, that this mm-hmm. is an issue of identity. Yes. This is an issue of can I really trust white people based on the fact that they enslaved me and they yeah. kind of forced this on me? And then to ask them out of that love where they see you love them, you respect them, to say, hey, let's take a journey on this. Let's study this together. And a couple of those men have done that out of the barbershop. They've actually gravitated to our church, men and men's Bible studies, given their lives to Christ. So I think it comes back to that becoming all things to all men, having compassion, like you said, and sympathizing with the pain that's there and not just simply trying to have an argument as if, oh, my God, it's being threatened. Jesus is being threatened. His identity is Jesus can take care of himself, you know. And see, I still am trying to figure out how we got there, where we have two different distinct types of Christianity in America. The one you just described that encounters these men in the barbershop and shows them love and patience. And the other one that wants to rip chairs out and throw scissors. Right. How did we end up with these two dramatically different interpretations of this? Because I resonate with what you're saying about the consistent command to generously, patiently love people. I think, and at least in, in American history, we went through a period where we thought that defending the faith meant that those who were against Christianity were the enemy. And that really became a strong of, uh, you know, defending the faith, Book of Jude. But they are not. They're victims of the enemy. Even as you look at Jesus, you don't see Jesus attacking the woman who was brought caught in the act of adultery. Jesus had his strongest words of challenging for Pharisees, for religious leaders who knew better. But he showed incredible compassion and patience with the common person who was far from God whether it was his disciples or anybody else. But we lost that delineation somewhere in us contextualizing the gospel through the history of the church in America, and it's still around. I'm going to steal what you said. I'm going to—I'm not going to—I guess guess I'll give you credit. Did you make that And you know what? Jesus will forgive you, bro, for stealing. (laughs) (laughs) Did you you make that up? I don't know what you're you're talking about. uh, 
they aren't the enemy. They're a victim of the enemy. Is that what you said? I did say that. Did and you make I that up? I don't think I can take credit for that. I'm sure I heard that from somebody else along the way. Let me just see. Maybe That's all so the way good. back when I lived in Memphis from Dr. Adrian Rogers, who's with the Lord now. A wow. Baptist pastor from a long time wow. ago at, at Bellevue Baptist. You should tweet that. <laughs> I'd have to care about Twitter to do that. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, it's, right, right. It's one of those that if we could just shift we could get that one. the American church yeah. perspective on that issue, it changes yeah. everything. It does. It does. And, you know, it breaks my heart because there's even in the church, it's like we're enemies. And you talk about Twitter, man, I see it on Twitter. That's Churches terrible. just going at each other where they have different views and yeah. canceling and just have bought into the culture is how you handle conflict about different things. And we've missed the fact that people are victims of the enemy. When you see a blind man walking down the road and he bumps into a tree, you don't rebuke him. Mm -hmm. And when you see a person who's blind spiritually challenging your faith, you don't rebuke them. They're blind. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. You go and help them. You continue to show compassion and love. You absorb their weaknesses to help them. That is the Jesus yes. in scripture. And that's the Jesus you ought to encounter. And I hope that for some somebody hearing that, that, that rocks their world a bit mm -hmm. and let it sink in. Yeah, And we'd encourage you to go search the scriptures and you'll see it's true. Mm -hmm. That's Jesus. Mm -hmm. And if we start acting like that, we're gonna change the world for Christ. Mm -hmm. uh, I, people are so angry. I mean, I know you see it. Mm -hmm. Why are people so angry? I, pe Christian people, right? angry. Yeah, yeah. Man, I think it's a advancement of the spirit of Antichrist, you know, um, just uh, moving us closer to the end times of that, that heart and mind of people, lover, lovers of themselves. But God has called us as his people to continue to fall in love with Jesus afresh every day. It doesn't mean we're not passionate about injustice. It doesn't mean we're not passionate about things that are not right. And we should be passionate. There's a place for anger. You know, the Bible says be angry and sin not. So it doesn't mean that anger is the forbidden emotion. It's just we have to manage it to bring glory to God. Well, people just look at Jesus flipping tables and turn it into their entire right. theology. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, oh, it's, it's be angry, but don't sin. So I'm angry. Right. And yet anger is not a fruit of the spirit. Yeah, absolutely. So how do we reconcile that as believers that are we're, we're in an American church that's angry? Well, one of the things we just talked about is that it seemed as though Jesus preserved his anger for people who knew better, the leaders, of, the spiritual leaders of that time, the Pharisees, go. the scribes, the Sadducees, yeah. the money changers. If you're in that temple and you're changing money, you know what originally that was supposed to be about, and they had made it into a profit thing. And so he was not taking out that ire on the common person who just is trying to pursue God. And so I think that's one of the things we can keep in mind. So that's how, I, I guess I need more help figuring out how, how do we balance righteous anger with the fruits of the Spirit? There's got to be a way that they coexist, right? Yeah, and I believe that the key to that is that one of the things we're kind of uh, discovering at a deeper level is how we're going to be engaged in making a difference on some of these social issues is to really sympathize and have compassion with areas of hurt and go even yeah. deeper. And we've done a number of things throughout the year with Make Cleveland Better. We've done a number of things in critical moments in our 
country where we needed to speak out or had to have special forums or even do things publicly. But we're looking to do even more with that. Is it safe to say, though, that, that the American Christian of any background who's spending much of their time feeling angry about things like the way the country's going, uh, the way uh, about some injustice, they're spending most of their time angry. They're, they're missing something. I would say so. Yeah. Would you say that, Janelle? <laughs> I'm moving it over to you. But yeah, I would say so. I don't think that's yeah. where the Lord wants us. Think about what Paul said. And he was in prison. And he said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. So, you know, that alone, I don't think God wants us to live with a, a disposition of anger all the time. You know, I think he wants us to be passionate. As Jesus said, you know, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to declare freedom to those who are in bondage and to set the captives free, those who've been oppressed, to set them free. And that requires passion. And sometimes that is anger, but I don't think that's where he wants us to live. What's the line that we should walk as believers? I think we have to look and see what's going on in our context as well as in our country. And I think we have to create forums for it. I think we have to look at areas and ways to engage uh, urban communities where basically that's defined as places of people of color. Yeah. Where there's more discrimination, there's more injustice, there's more unfair treatment, there's fewer opportunities, mm-hmm. and we have to engage, be very intentional. When you think about the Good Samaritan that Jesus tells us about, the focus was on the victim. The Good Samaritan was on the victim. It wasn't really on finding the criminal and the person culpable, even though that's important. Mm-hmm. And then you think about the spirit of John the Baptist, how the focus was on repentance. And he's preached repentance, whether it was to an individual or to Herod. You know, it had taken his brother's wife. Yeah. And that's what caused him to lose his head. So we, I think we need to speak to organizations, systems about repentance. But I think we also need to stay focused on those who have been hurt victimized as a result of social injustice and pain. What What if you've been the one? Oh, yeah. If you've been the one, then, and most of us have to some degree or another. Because even as you serve, you are walking around as a black man in America. So I know there are still, just because you're saved doesn't mean, you know, like, okay, now I'll help people who are victims of racism. You are a victim and maybe will be. Until you pass. One of the things that um, we've begun at our church and one of our men's small groups is to really study racial injustice and healing as well as dealing with discrimination. Mm -hmm. And this is a men's group. Mm -hmm. And uh, many of those men have experienced something directly in that way. And another thing we have to do is we have to begin to find a way to address based on what we've gone through, the system are those who have hurt us. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're dealing with a lot in that group. We have tons of examples in Scripture. Can you, can you think of any examples of believers outside of Scripture, right, who have lived throughout the last 2,000 years, who would kind of exemplify this, this idea of compassion and uh, righteous anger for injustice and yet still representing Christ well? Yeah, well, listen— There are a number of pastors and entire churches early in our history because the African-American church didn't have a choice at one point other than to focus on racial issues. It was as important as ministering to 
uh, the poor. It was the issue, and it was so pervasive and so dangerous mm-hmm. that that was the gospel. And, uh, you know, as far as the, the emphasis of the gospel, but it didn't mean that they were not Christ-centered. And this is another thing that I love about this book. I keep pressing Urban is Apologetics it? because okay, yeah, yeah. they have an entire chapter on that that goes through the history of the black church mm-hmm. and really uh, shows that even churches that have been very much involved with the civil rights movement have also been very Christ-centered at the same time. It's not an right. either-or. But if I just had to pinpoint one easy grab, one easy example of someone who has all the passion and, and Christ-centered and yet really stood against the oppression of what was going on with blacks in particular was, of course, Martin Luther King Jr. in the civil rights movement. Yeah, yeah. It's the obvious but the best choice. The, the more I've studied his life and ministry— I get frustrated by the fact that cultural history takes away his reverend title. Mm-hmm. He becomes a social activist, mm-hmm. where at his core he's a pastor. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Who I think was emulating Jesus as best as he could. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A man who was, I don't know, I didn't see him yelling at people. Yeah. And yet he was confronting injustice in one of the most incredible ways world history has seen. And continuing to promote love with the term that yes. was used then, nonviolence, and just powerful stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, transformative stuff. And as, as we get towards the end of our discussion with you, I think I've, I've loved this topic for a lot of reasons, knowing Jesus better, but one of them has just been where the Lord's taken us and where the Lord's directed our ministry. One of those verses the Lord's just given us to focus on, Romans 12, 2, to allow God to transform you into a new person Many translations say, by renewing your mind, I like the NLTs, changing the way you think. <laughs> so, and I think at its core, that's kind of what you're getting at here. So talk to the believer who's hearing some things for the first time with fresh ears today. How do we begin that journey of letting the Lord transform our mind? Not, yeah. not just, he saved me yeah. from my sin. How do I start thinking mm-hmm. and living like Jesus? Well, first of all, I just want to say, guys, thank you all for having me. It's such a blessing to be here and just thank God for what you do. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm like a broken record on this. I, I think a good starting point. And, and first of all, you have to really have a heart to want to to know the Lord. You want to be careful about rituals and religion and trying to do things to impress people. So there has to be that longing for Christ. So I think that's the first thing. It begins with a prayer. God, give me a heart to know you. Jesus, give me a heart to really want to go deeper with you. Help me to be willing to not conform to this world, but be transformed. But with that said, one of the things I encourage a lot, it's been a lifelong habit of mine. It's a micro habit. It's a macro habit. Is scripture memory. I really encourage believers to memorize God's word. And we do that differently, and we do that at different paces. Some people, it may take them two months to memorize one verse. Other people memorize (laughs) a verse a week. Mm -hmm. And I want to encourage you just to take the slower pace so that you really meditate, because it's not just about getting it into your mind. It's about getting it into your heart. You want to really internalize it. You want to allow that word to marinate. The psalmist says, your word have I hidden in my heart. And so, you know, we stop it at the mind sometime. We can rattle off all these scriptures. But now, God, let me meditate on this. And what are you saying to me? What promises are there? What's the example I'm supposed to follow? What command you give me? What sins are you showing me that I need to confess? How am I supposed to be more like Christ from this? And when it comes to knowing Jesus, it would be good to memorize scriptures like the Beatitudes, Sermon on the Mount, some of his most amazing teachings 
life-changing, even starting with simple things like the Lord's Prayer, Our Father, which art in heaven, and really meditating on the Word of God. But this takes time. It kind of comes back to what you were saying, yeah. Janelle, just being able to really be in the Word, not rushed. Yes. And allow that Word to wash over you and to just flow in you yeah. and let God really begin to make it personal for yeah, cause, you. Yeah, because, you know, I think the way we're trained to read Scripture, which, I mean, we all need Bible literacy, of course. But I could see somebody going, okay, well, I'll, I heard Pastor Kevin James say I should read the book, uh, the gospel. So I'll read John. I'm going to read it. I just read it. I'm done. Yeah. And not, nothing changed. Yeah. So how do you approach the gospels? Like, how fast are you going? How long should it take you? Do you see what I mean? Like, people yeah. want to know this because yeah. we're so re- religious in our, yeah. in our way of doing yeah. things and regimented. It's a very personalized thing. I don't know if one size fits all, but this is why I'm a big advocate of doing the journey with others. Whether that's with your spouse or with your children or with a small group, I really love small groups, uh, discipleship groups, Bible study groups. I've seen Bible study groups that start off with this big goal. We're going to study through the book of Romans and three weeks in, hey, I think we're going to spend all of this time in Romans 8. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you know I what I mean? All right. Yeah. It's just, you know, and just, you <laughs> know. Lots to talk about. Yeah, lots to talk about there. We talked about um, how we're trained to kind of go through books. The other thing that I've discovered, and I heard it years ago, but now I'm like, wow, that's so true. We, we've learned a lot about how to read the Bible and how to pray to God, which is all valid and awesome, but not a lot about how to sit with Him and how to hear Him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How do you hear the Lord in your time with Him? The Western mindset of how we obtain knowledge and how we grow in logic is very disciplined and structured. Whereas the Eastern mindset, which is the perspective from which the scriptures are written, are more experiential. It's more paced Mm -hmm. and slow. It's more holistic. You know, it's not just the logic. It's really engaging this with my soul and all of that. So, you know, it's so important that as we are trying to, to do this, that we the, the main thing is time it's going to take time yeah, and is. here's the next big word it's going to take quiet time yeah. and this is very difficult that in and of itself it can take us months and years to get to yeah. because we've just got devices and we've got streaming and we've got people in our lives it's hard to find where we just be still and know that he's God that's I think is the most important thing it's going to take yeah. I, I'm really grateful for Pastor Kevin James, again, founding and senior pastor of New Community Bible Fellowship. You gave us extra time today. Hopefully you're Thank not late you. for an appointment. No. If, if you are, do what I do. Blame Janelle. Janelle, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's right. So how, how can folks get connected to your church? Maybe watch online if they want to? Or how, how do they connect with you? Yeah, they can go to newcommunitybible.org. And everything that's going on at New Community, you can pretty much access it there. You can find out more about our Knowing Jesus journey this year. You can get one of our passports. We have an actual booklet that we publish that helps you to walk with us through the year. You can stream our services that way on Sundays. They are live at nine o'clock. And you can find out about all these other things that are going on at our church. And we would love to have you out. All right. New Community Bible Fellowship. Again, Pastor Kevin James, thanks so much for your time today. We're grateful. Thanks for listening to this episode. Don't forget, if you like what you hear on a weekly basis, we'd be grateful for your ratings and reviews wherever you listen. And also subscribe so you get the latest episodes. Follow us wherever you are on social media and search for us online. We're at brianandjanelle.org. 
Don't miss our weekday morning show with conversations just like this. You can listen on the Moody Radio mobile app or again at our website, brianandjanelle.org. Special thanks to the talented team of individuals who tirelessly put together this podcast every week. Josue Villa, Mike Reynolds, and Ron Eastwood. The Brian and Janelle Podcast is a production of WCRF Moody Radio Cleveland. Until next time, we're Brian and Janelle.